Welcome to the Grace City Tampa podcast. My name is Alex Damari. Me and my wife, Brianna, are the lead pastors. Our vision is to lead people into a life-transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. We pray that today's podcast will build you up, lift your faith, and encourage you in the journey. Here's the message. We are on week three of our sermon series, We Proclaim. We're talking all about the idea that believers were designed and given the charge to proclaim the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we're exploring what that looks like, and I want to continue in in week three today. If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to Matthew 28, Matthew 28. And if you're ready for the word, would you say amen? Amen. We're going to read a whole chapter of the Bible in church today. It's probably more Bible than some of you have read in a year, you know what I'm saying? We're reading the whole chapter of the Bible throughout this message. Let's start in verse one. It says, after the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning. His clothes were as white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do you not be afraid? For I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified, but he is not here. He has arisen just as he said. Everyone say, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. Everyone say joy. And ran to tell the disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. The title of my message this morning is Go and Tell. Go and Tell. Let's pray over the preaching of God's Word. Lord, we thank you for your Word. We thank you that this story is alive. We thank you, Lord, that today it will move us into action. I pray for hearts to be softened, for mindsets to be broken. I pray you'll speak to us in a new and a fresh way, and we will be forever changed. And if you believe in that, would you say amen? Amen, amen, amen. It's Easter Sunday. It's the day that we gather to celebrate the risen Savior. Easter as a pastor is a whole lot different than most people's experience of Easter. Easter can really feel like a holiday, like you gotta check the boxes, you gotta eat the right meal, you gotta bite the ears off of a bunny, you gotta do all the right things to make the holiday feel like the holiday. Yet, for a pastor, you attempt to write messages that lead people towards life transformation. You attempt to equip and empower people to be the hands and feet of Jesus. You want to write messages that people who haven't been in church for a whole year 
can follow along, but you also want to preach messages while weekly participants receive something as well. And the biggest reason why Easter is different for most pastors is almost every single person who walks through the front doors knows the conclusion of the story. Like Wayne already got up here on ministry time and gave away the whole story. You know what I'm saying? Like the news has already been spread. Every one of you know, like we can't take this from a different angle. Are you with me? Like Jesus died on the cross, was in the tomb for three days and rose again. I talked with my dad this last week who's been pastoring for 35 years. He's preached so many Easter messages. And I said, dad, what are you preaching on this Easter? And he says, Christ's resurrection. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's it. Like, that's what you do on Easter Sunday. Why it's the most important story that's ever been told. But the reality I face on my second Easter as a lead pastor is very frustrating. Because one of my favorite things to do is share new news with people. I love to fill people in on something they didn't know about. I love to bring something new that inspires people to change, but I'm faced with the reality that all of you already know the conclusion of the story. Like, is there anything better than having news that you get to share? Like you just got engaged and you get to post the pictures. There's always like the one ring finger, thanks to Christian Sudrath, posting wedding pictures. Like there's, you know, maybe you're pregnant and you get to post like the picture, you know, holding the, the black and white image that nobody can even tell what it is, but we know what the picture looks like. There's always three of them. You know what I'm saying? Like there's nothing better than the moment when you get to share the news of something, whether you're telling in person, you're sending a text message, you're calling over the phone, or you're the one who gets to hit post. Last week, I was really struggling because our creative pastors, Bobby and Kenzie, announced on Instagram last week that they're pregnant, but I knew on Sunday, right, it's so exciting, but I knew on Sunday. And so I was sitting here like doing everything I could not to tell, but we are so excited. We got a new one welcomed into our community in a couple of months. Can we give it up for Bobby and Kenzie? That baby boy's gonna come out the womb hitting the drums. You know what I'm saying? Like that's what's gonna take place for that boy. I just wanna be maybe the person to share the news, to get you excited like there's something new. But can I tell you that this story of Jesus, no matter how many times you have heard it, doesn't get old. This story of the resurrection power of Jesus doesn't get stale. The conclusion of this story still holds just as much power today as it did 2,000 years ago. It still holds just as much life transformation as it did 2,000 years ago. This story isn't getting old, and I pray today we come expecting, like we're hearing it for the very first time, like today we're going to step out of this place going, you know what I heard today? The greatest story ever told, and I am never the same. Are you with me today, church? So just like Jesus said he would, he rose from the grave. Mary and Mary approaching the tomb would have had mixed feelings. They already knew the punchline of the story. They knew the conclusion. But the days before, they just saw a bloody, mangled version of Jesus hanging on the cross, and they watched him take his last breath. So even though the disciples knew that he said he would come back to life, they are faced with the reality of the situation as they approach the tomb. Think about it. This man who is now dead in a tomb to them was their only hope for freedom. Was their only hope to get out of the oppression of the people of that time. Was their only hope for life. Was their only hope for eternity. And he's now dead in a tomb. 
even for a moment, they forgot that they knew the end of the story. They even had the audacity, if you read in in Luke's version of this, they brought oils and spices with them. Why? To put on the dead body of Jesus, to anoint him. And as they approached the tomb, they see the stones rolled away, the guards laying, look seemingly dead, and they see an angel of the Lord sitting on the stone. Their minds would have been racing. I'm sure the mix of emotions from fear, excitement, curiosity would have been running through their minds. And the angel settles them and tells them not to fear that he's not here and he has risen just like he said he would. And then the angel welcomes them in and shows them the empty tomb. Not only does he say it, but he shows them the empty tomb. Could you imagine being that person in that time? You hear that he's risen and you go see the tomb is empty. And then he says, hurry, go and tell the disciples. If we pick it up in verse eight, it says this. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. And they ran to tell the disciples. Afraid yet filled with joy. See, Mary and Mary who are still afraid, they're they're questioning what's going on. Like this is still terrifying to them. There's an angel, Lord, the guards are dead. What is really happening? But at the same time, they are filled with joy. See, these women now hold the greatest news in history inside their minds. They have the most important news for all the world and all humanity. And this news fills them with joy. Why? Is it because they love Jesus and they just wanted him to come back? I think that that would give you some excitement and give you some joy. But it says they were filled with joy. And I came to this conclusion this last week. You want to know why the women were filled with this much joy when they saw the empty tomb? Because Jesus' resurrection proves that everything that Jesus ever said was truth. Jesus' resurrection proves that every promise of God is yes and amen. Jesus' resurrection proves that every declaration, every prophecy for thousands of years has been made truth. These women are now holding the keys to the gospel, the validation of its truth. Every promise. Jesus said that he's the, tru- the way, the truth, and the life. Every promise that he's the light of the world. Every promise that he cares for you, that he loves you, that when you come to him, he will never push you away, that when he will never leave us or forsake us, he promises restoration over our earthly bodies, healing over our bodies and our minds. He promises to mend your broken heart. He promises freedom from oppression, friendship with God, that when we keep his commands, his joy is made complete in us. He promises that your burdens would be light. He promises blessing and adversity to give you rest, peace, joy, freedom from worry and anxiety, freedom from addictions, the power to overcome, purpose for your life, gifts, talents, abilities. He promises at the mention of his name, the enemy must flee. Come on. He promises that if you call on his name, you will be saved. He promises that if you ask anything in his name, he will do it. He promises the Holy Spirit. He promises eternal life and church. Hear me today. The empty grave seals the promises of God for us. Come on, that's something to celebrate.
The empty grave seals it for us. Of course they were filled with so much joy. Of course they were quickly running to tell everyone because they listen. Every red letter in this book is true. Every single red letter. When the women left the tomb, they were filled with joy. Everything was true. This being filled with joy shouldn't just be for the women of that time. It's for us today. We should experience the same joy that leads us to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. We should experience that. Church, you now hold the greatest news in the world. And just like these women who were filled up with joy of the gospel, we should be filled today with the joy for the gospel. And you know what they did? When they were filled up with the joy of the truth of the gospel, they ran to tell. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, go and tell. Go and tell. Come on, this proclaiming isn't just for the four walls of this church. It's so easy for us to think that us following God can be just in our rooms, in our quiet time, and in the four walls of these church, but this is a declaration for your life. And as the story continues, in verse 11, we read that while the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. The only thing the enemy, the opposition knew to do was attempt to disprove the resurrection because they knew that if they could disrupt the truth, it would keep people from following the way. They didn't go out trying to do anything else other than to simply to start to disrupt the truth. This really is the key role of the devil. So many people have such a terribly skewed version of the devil in their mind. Whether through poor teaching or whether culture has shaped it, we look at the devil like he's sitting on one shoulder and God like he's sitting on the other. And they're both whispering in your ear and you're like, okay, I gotta make this decision. I gotta do this thing. That's not what's happening, especially if you're saved. Why? Because even at the mention of the name of Jesus, the enemy must flee. If you have the devil whispering in your ear, that's something called possession. You don't wanna mess with possession. Are you with me, church? And a believer can't be possessed. So in reality, the devil's main strategy to keep you from experiencing the life that is truly life is with lies. Not from his lips to your ears, but rather through all humanity. The Bible says that he is the father of lies, meaning through culture, the temptations of the world, the desires of flesh, there has been deception to make you think that those things are better. Even back in the Garden of Eden, Satan didn't make Adam and Eve do it. He lied to them and said, this is the life. You should do this. Even when Jesus was in the desert wandering, being tempted by the devil, the devil didn't do anything to Jesus. He spit lies at Jesus. This is good news for us. Can we say that today? 
You want to know why? Because we know the truth. So no matter what the world throws our way, no matter how strong the desires of the flesh or the depths of the lies of the enemy, we can stand strong on the foundation of Christ's truth and overcome the world. Now that you have the truth, nothing can stand in your way. No sickness, no disease, no hardship, no addiction, no loss of a family member can pull you from the truth. Why? Because you know the truth. And knowing the truth changes your approach to going and telling. Knowing the truth changes your approach. Brianna and I have four kids. I remember we would sit down before we had kids and we would dream about what our dream scenario would be. We would dream about, man, it'd be awesome to have a boy first and then a girl. You know, that kind of game, like, oh, I wish we could just have this perfect setup, like eat this certain thing and then that kind of baby would come out, you know? But um, we actually, now I would say like, it blew our wildest dreams. We have two boys as our older and then we have two girls as our younger. And so we got the dream scenario for our kids. But um, as they started coming out, our first two were boys. Now, something you might not know about my family is uh, my grandpa has about 13 brothers and all of the brothers only had boys. So my dad only has brothers as well as boy cousins. And then my dad and all of his brothers only had boys. So I only have two brothers and all boy cousins. Then my older brother started having babies. His first three babies were all boys. Our first two babies were boys. So these dreams were fleeting very fast until the moment we got pregnant with our third. Brianna talked me into it. We're good. She talked me into the fourth too, but thank God, you know what I'm saying? But the moment we were in with the technician and they look inside of her belly and they write on an envelope and hand it to us and we walk out to the parking lot nervous. What is this going to be? Probably going to be a boy. And we opened up that envelope and we saw, congratulations, you're having a baby girl. Such an exciting moment. Mind blowing when it happened twice. I mean, it, it sent disruptions through the entire family for sure. <laughs> it wasn't the dream of having a girl that gave us joy. It was the truth of having a girl that gave us joy. When we read the concrete truth, Nothing could take us away from that. We had dreams about it, of course. Yeah, that would be enough maybe, but no. It was when we knew the truth, it gave us true joy. I was in the parking lot crying like a little baby. I'm like, we gotta call my mom. We gotta call everybody we know. I can't believe we are having a girl. True joy. Everyone say true joy. My main thought today is this that the good news of the empty tomb brings true joy to proclaim the good news to all the world. Let me say it again. The good news of the empty tomb brings true joy, meaning it is concrete. It's really happening, right? The good news of the empty tomb brings true joy to proclaim good news to all the world. It's going to make you want to shout from the rooftops. It's going to make you want to call every single family member you know and go, I know the truth. It has set me free. I know what's taking place. Have you heard the greatest story ever told? Did you know that Jesus actually rose from the grave? It's going to want to make you tell every single person around you. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite the band up. And as we finish, Matthew 28, 
You would think that Jesus would be showing up to make right the lies about his resurrection. Like, wouldn't it have been epic if Jesus went before the city just floating like God would? Something crazy to make them believe that the reports are true. No, instead what takes place in the rest of the chapter, this is so key for us today, this is so beautiful. Jesus gathers the remaining 11 disciples on the mountain. And let's read verse 17, it says this. Then the 11 went to the mountains. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. In all authority, Jesus doesn't say, go make right the lies that they're spreading about me. That would be a logical way to look at this. Hey, like they're trying to spread lies that I rose. Like, no, he says, go and make disciples. Go make more of yourselves. Devout Christ followers. Jesus chooses his followers to bring the gospel rather than himself. See, this is where it leaves room and a gap for faith. See, rather than him revealing himself to everyone, he creates space for faith. And what we know about faith, Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance of what we do not see. Ephesians 2.8, for it is by grace you have been saved through what? Faith. 2 Corinthians 5.7 says, for we live by faith and not by sight. 1 Timothy 6.12 says, fight the good fight of faith Take hold of eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Notice this today, church. Jesus doesn't say in Matthew 28, 19, we need to go and make believers of the way. He doesn't say that. Jesus says, you need to go and make disciples. What's the primary role of a disciple? To make more disciples. The primary function Jesus' last command to his disciples, go and make more of yourselves and tell them to make more of themselves. Not just believers so the story can stop and be some fancy history story. No, he goes, go make followers and tell them to make more followers and tell them to make more followers and tell them to make more followers. And then 2,000 years later, there's gonna be a bunch of crazy people that came out in a 9.30 service in Centro Sturiano to celebrate the resurrection because 11 people decided to make followers, not just make right lies. They went and made followers of the way. Amen. He creates a chain reaction of going and telling. He doesn't want the people just to believe him. He wants them to believe and go and tell. That's why he didn't show up to the people of that time. The good news would have died off with a generation of people. It would have just been in the history books. But now we stand here 2,000 years later with these stories because 11 men went and told other people who told other people. In Grace City, Tampa, what we're doing here today, this isn't just about singing songs. This isn't about feel-good vibes in an environment to go, yep, yeah, we're, we're just going to church, check the box. I'm gonna go once a year, I'm gonna go once a month, I'm gonna go, what? that's not what this is. Is it okay that I speak to you like this? 
That's not what this is today. See, there is nothing like worshiping God. There's nothing like declaring His praises in an environment like this, because what does it do? It shows that you believe in Him. It shows that you have a desire for Him. But hear me today, God doesn't want you to just believe in Him and leave it at that. He wants for you to love Him. And a lot of times we think of loving God as coming to church and worshiping in an environment like this, like raising our hands in worship. We think of loving God like reading our Bible in the morning. We think of loving God like prayer time. We think of loving God like going to our city groups and doing all the things that believers should do. And all of those are beautiful things. Don't stop doing those things. But somewhere along the line, we've convoluted the idea of church as this being a relationship check-in. I just got to go check my box to make sure I'm good with God in the house of God. Can I tell you today that this isn't a relationship check-in. This is a battle station. This is a place to equip, empower the saints to do the work of the ministry. Jesus didn't say to his disciples, like, you can see me one last time and I'm going to be with you. No, he tells them to go and make disciples and then I'll be with you. Right? He gives them a charge and says, listen, you need to be empowered. You need to go into all the world. When he talks to Peter, he asks Peter, he goes, hey, do you love me, Peter? Peter goes, of course I love you. He goes, then feed my sheep. He says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, of course I love you. Then feed my sheep three times. He has to tell Peter this. Why? Because how we show God that we love him is we go and tell. How we show God that we believe in the truth of the resurrection is we are filled with the true joy and we run to every single person in every single street, in every single house, and we never stop proclaiming the good news. Come on, Matthew 28, 19, go into all the world and make disciples of every nation. Are you with me, church? This is what we're called to do. So I hope today you're reminded of the reason that God has chosen you. Every one of you has been called. Every one of you has been given purpose. Every one of you has been given meaning. We're not just gonna make believers, we're gonna make disciples. And I pray today that the truth of the joy of the gospel will make ripples in your workplaces, will make true transformation in your homes. Your children's children's children will profess the name of Jesus because you made the decision to say what Jesus said was true. And I'm not just gonna be a believer of that. I'm gonna do what he told me to do and I'm gonna make disciples. We're believing this here. If you haven't been here, we're believing this here, that the lost will be found. That doesn't happen through fancy sermons. That doesn't happen through good music, although I love these guys. That doesn't happen with an amazing kids team. That happens when the believers say, you know what, I know what this life is about. I'm not living it for myself anymore. I'm gonna go and tell. Would you stand to your feet? Would you bow your heads in this room? We love to leave room at the end of every service to simply invite any of you who come in here today and you would say, you know what, I've never given my life to Jesus. Or maybe today you'd say, 
you know what? I've had a season where I've walked away from God and today I just wanna return back to Him. We're gonna leave a moment for you just to raise your hand and, and state the fact that you believe in Him. I'm gonna to count to three and at the count of three, I'm just gonna ask you to raise your hand. The Bible says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, then you will be saved. That's all this moment is. It's just simply you extending a hand up saying, you know what, I believe in my heart and I've never declared it in front of people. I've never said that I believe it, but today, what you're saying, Pastor Alex, it is coming to life inside of my bones, and I need to put a hand up to say, you know what, I'm never gonna be the same, and I'm gonna leave this place, and I'm gonna tell every person the truth of what has been done for me. One, know that God loves you. He sent his one and only son for you so that you could know life, and life eternal, and a relationship with him. Two. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. You don't need to have all the answers. You just need to step out in faith and say, yeah, I simply believe that he is alive and real. Three, would you raise your hand if that's you? You wanna confess the Lord as your savior. Yeah, I see your hand, hallelujah. Come on, we're gonna leave a little bit more time. Anybody wants to declare, I see your hand, hallelujah. Come on, a little bit more time. Anybody would say, yep, I believe that Jesus is the Lord and I wanna make him the Lord of my life. Anybody else? One more moment. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Well, praise the Lord. Come on, can we celebrate the couple people that raised their hand? There might have been some of you in here as well. You weren't confident enough to raise your hand. We have a beautiful team of people who want to come around you and help you on the journey. Right now, what we're going to do together is we're going to pray the sinner's prayer. And this is just all of us declaring alongside the couple people that raised their hands professing Jesus as Lord. So would you repeat after me? Say, Dear Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that you are Lord. I surrender today completely to your will. And today I choose to walk with you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Come on, let's celebrate those people one more time. You know what that gets me excited about? One, people's names are written in eternity, and that's something to get excited about. But it also gets me excited that this room was a room of believers, meaning we got work to do, meaning Jesus has given us a command to go and proclaim the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. You have been given a charge. Come on, we have the joy of the truth of our salvation guaranteed by the risen Savior, guaranteed by the empty tomb, and that's something to celebrate, amen? So what we're gonna do is we're gonna end our service a little bit different. I told you not to leave, don't leave yet, because we're gonna end our service with a little bit of a praise party, because I think that we got joy down deep inside of our hearts, and it's time to celebrate the proclamation that Jesus is Lord. So come on, would you lift up a mighty shout of praise, and let's worship one last song together. Happy Easter, church, come on. Thank you for listening to the Grace City Tampa podcast. Stay tuned for more weekly messages from our church.